Sunday. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Money in Your Life, the radio program that gives you the insight and motivation to be more successful with all aspects of your personal finances. Your hosts are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Today's program will feature experts and intriguing ideas that will show you how money is actually operating in your life. Now, here are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Good morning and welcome. You have Money in Your Life a weekly show about the influence of money in your life. I'm Ann Hutchins. And I'm Brian Farr. You know, Brian, for a lot of years, I haven't made New Year's resolutions per se, mostly because my goals are around being something different, not doing something different. I'm not sure why, but this year I've been really struck by the number of messages about your New Year's resolutions that I've seen. Does it seem to you as if there are more than ever before? Yeah, there are certainly a lot of well-intentioned resolutions this time of year. Unfortunately, most of them will not see much follow-through. Sustaining change is difficult, regardless of what time of year we make the resolution. Well, today our guest is Kevin Salwin. He and his family followed through on the an enormous change that is still impacting their lives and the lives of many others. Kevin and his daughter Hannah wrote, The Power of Half which is an account of a decision that involved and transformed their entire family. So welcome, Kevin Salwin, to Money in Your Life. Thanks, Dan. Hello, Brian. Good morning. Good morning. Kevin, for those who haven't read your fabulous book, The Power of Half, can you just briefly talk about this, the story, what got you started on this journey? Uh, sure. Yeah, we we jokingly like to refer to it as our moment of insanity. And um, uh, you know, I, I would say uh, this was, that we were a fairly typical family of four. We had a fourteen-year-old girl and a twelve-year-old boy, and Joan and I were the typical consuming yuppies. Um, you know, we we did the things that that our peer group did, which was to you know buy things when we liked them and you know, take nice vacations and that kind of thing. And we were, um, I would say, somewhat charitable and somewhat engaged with our community. But um, um, mostly, I think if you had looked at our family, you would have said the Salwin family's main relationship is with their stuff and with their money. And um, and I probably couldn't have argued with that. Hmm. But... Um, but it was interesting because because when our daughter was um, was 14, um, one day I was driving her home from a sleepover. Uh, this was um, this was back in in uh, 2006, and um, as um, uh, and as as I'm driving her home from the sleepover, uh, I'm sorry, 2007, uh, we pull up at a very familiar stoplight, and she looks to her left, and there's this man sitting against the chain link fence. He's disheveled. He's clear. It's clear he hasn't had a shower or a bath in, in 
uh, at least a few days. And um, he's got a cardboard sign, just kind of handwritten and, and with Sharpie, and, and it says four words on it. It says, hungry, homeless, please help. And, you know, this is a scene we've all seen many a time, and Hannah and I have seen it many a time. And, um, and um, so I keep in my car for those occasions um, Chick-fil-A cards or McDonald's cards preloaded with $5. And so when I see a scene like this, I can hand the person a $5 food card and they can get a meal. So I'm looking in my um, in my cup holder for the cards, and I can't find one. And then I look over in my glove compartment, and all I see in there is napkins and straws and a bunch of old ketchup packets and, um, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And, and now I'm going through that kind of really awkward moment in which I'm thinking, do I pull a dollar or two out of my wallet, or what do I do, you know? And, it, and I, I don't want to make eye contact. I mean, you know that feeling, right? Yeah. And over in the passenger seat, Hannah is having a completely different experience because right then, pulling up alongside her is a beautiful black Mercedes Benz. And now it's like she's one of those bobblehead dolls you get at the baseball game. You know, she's looking back and forth between the have and have not in our community, just a mile from our house, the beautiful black Mercedes and the homeless man. And she turns to me and, and says, Dad, you know, if that guy didn't have such a nice car, that man over there could have a meal. And I said, well, yeah, Hannah, that's right. But if we didn't have such a nice car, he could have a meal. And then, but by the way, what happens tomorrow and the day after and the day after that? Right then the light changes and we go home. And it's very clear that my 14-year-old is just not done with this subject. And we mm-hmm. sit down at the table. And um, and we've ordered carrion Chinese food, right? And, and Hannah's kind of a starchitarian, so she's got this big plate of fried rice in front of her. And um, she takes a she takes a bite, but she can't wait. And so she starts talking. There's rice flying everywhere, and she's telling her brother Joe and my wife Joan the story of the homeless man in the Mercedes and how wrong it feels to her. And, that kind of thing. And, and Joan says, well, you know, hon, we're actually pretty generous people. You know, we, we, we give a lot to charity and, you know, dad works with Habitat for Humanity and I'm involved with the United Way. And I'm looking in Hannah's eyes and all I can see is her thinking, this is the lamest junk I've ever heard. <laughs> and, and at that moment, Joan takes one more shot. and She says, well, what do you want to do? What are you willing to give up to make that, you know, to make the world better? You want to give up this house? You want to give up your room? And Hannah's face brightens. And I think, oh, Lord, we're in deep trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And I'm not talking, you know, guys, I'm not talking about just sort of like, you know, an average house. I'm talking about the house that Joan always referred to as her dream house. Yeah. You know, just a really beautiful home where we would throw nice parties and, you know, we would have lots of friends over. Anyway, long story short, we decide at that moment um, that we would sell our big, beautiful house, move into one half the size, and use half the money to try to make the world better. Now, did all four of you decide this, or did you, you and Joan just follow on and say, 
well, Hannah, we could sell the house and move into one that's half the size. And I mean, did you did you give the framework of the plan to the kids or was this something that evolved over time? This is some, it's something that evolved over time. It was really, um, you, you know, it was Hannah's idea to, to do something big. She said, I really want to make a difference in the world, even if it's a small difference. But really what she was saying was what we're doing up to now isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Joan, um, my wife, it, it really wanted to challenge her and really wanted to see, you know, hey, wait a second, I have an opportunity to figure out what our family really stands for. Yeah. I was a slower convert um, to the process. I came along maybe a couple of days later. And Joe, our then 12-year-old son, was a very slow convert to the process. It was a, he actually, uh, in, a, in a very typical um, narcissistic fashion, he, he first tried to parlay it into something better for himself, you know. Okay, so if we move to a new house, I really want, you know, a room downstairs with all kinds of foam and, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, he eventually came around and was actually an awesome participant in the project, but, but he was, we referred to him as our, as our own personal peer review panel. Well, so. that's perfect. Yeah, it actually worked out really well. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, he he slowed us to the point where we actually made better decisions. Well, you know, I'm also curious about Brian and I, especially in our coaching, we talk with uh, clients, and we've talked in this show about the money conversation, having conversation around money and values. And I'm curious to know what kinds of conversations your kids knew that you did charitable works, but what and what kind of conversations did you have before all this about money and values and why you were doing those charitable works? Well, um, we had had conversations that I would say were pretty much at the 35,000 foot level, you know, the, the kind of broad brush, you know, Hey, we do work in the community because we are part of this community and it is the, you know, and we've been blessed with lots of kind of, you know, opportunity and great educations and, and good, good enough parenting and, and, um, you know, and, and the chance to really make something of ourselves and we've made a pretty good amount of money and we have the opportunity to, um, you know, to, to give back. And in fact, it's not just an opportunity, it's a responsibility. But that's kind of, um, that's kind of all the real conversation we had. We were not one of those families that sat down with our children at, at the holiday time and said, you know, here's how much money we have to allocate and that kind of thing. Um, and let our children participate in that other than to say, you know, are there organizations that are really important to you that we should be supporting this year? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think part of it is um, we never really wanted to share very much of the detail with our uh, kids yeah. um, about the, about our level of money, in part because we didn't want that to be out in the community, you know, and we yeah. figured once we told our kids, they tell other people, you know, and it becomes this, it becomes mm-hmm. this competitive, you know, well, my father gave, you know, $15,000 to this, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's a really common one in terms of parent, the opening up the conversation between parents and children 
um, in, in getting some some boundaries around it, getting some container around it. I, I am curious to ask. So the conversation you're having with your kids is like you say at the thirty five thousand foot level. What I remember from the book is that Hannah was involved in some activities, uh, some homeless project activities. And I know that you're on the board of Habitat there uh, in Atlanta. So I'm guessing there was there. I, I'm thinking that you're under describing the level of involvement of your family. Yeah, well, th- there's there's a little bit of a. Um of a split here between the financial conversations and the, and the conversations about giving and, and, and and the activities of doing, we, we were, I would say a, on the higher end of the scale, not at the highest end, but at the higher end of the scale in terms of our participatory service. Yeah. And so we, um, you know, we, we, we did a lot of work at the, at the food bank when the kids were young, because that was an easy place for them to get engaged. Um, you know, Hannah, Hannah was very involved with a restaurant for homeless men and women called Cafe 458, um, where she helped prepare meals and serve meals. Um, you know, w- w- from the very beginning, we would bring our kids to Habitat Builds. Um, they couldn't work, obviously, for insurance reasons, but they could help serve lunch. And mm-hmm. they would always see me working and we'd bring balls and, and so Joseph would play with the neighborhood kids or Hannah would play with the neighborhood kids. And then it gave, gave us an opportunity later on that day to talk about those kids and, you know, was there any difference between those kids and what, and Joe or, you know, that kind of thing. And so it was all, it was all part of community building and service, but not really conversations about the financial portion of it. Mm. Got it. Got yeah. It. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, isn't it, that this conversation doesn't that generally is what I find the conversation doesn't tie the the two together. And I'm not talking about telling kids how much you give, but that that service is just as important in the giving as the dollars. Well, you know, I, I think. There's a lot of folks who will say the only thing you can really teach kids at the beginning is empathy anyway. Um, and so just helping them recognize, you know, we're not going to teach kids about finances. I don't think even at the age of 14, uh, when we made the decision to sell our house and and, um, and use close to a million dollars to try to make the world better, um, I, I'm not sure the kids at that point had any idea what part of our net worth set might be or um, right. Or how much a million we, is. Yes, exactly. Or what it yeah. took to earn that million. Um, right. You know, Joan and I, Joan and I are the kids of four school teachers. We, we weren't, we weren't born with, um, you know, as Ann Richards would say, a silver foot in our mouth. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we were, we, we were, we were raised, you know, solidly middle class. And and uh, you remember when America had a middle class? That was that was us. And, but the, but the, um, you know, so, so I'm not sure our kids actually knew what it took to earn that. I, I, you know, and, and whether, you know, Joan's career at Accenture or my career at the Wall Street Journal and and then as an entrepreneur, how that all played into that. Hmm. Still not sure actually that they do, (laughs) you know, Um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure we've done an A plus plus job of, uh, of really teaching our kids about the earning part of the financial world. So. Well, it's not an easy conversation because until you experience it and get out there, this is the challenge, right? 
until you experience it, you don't really know. I want to go back, though, to to just ask, what was the money conversation in your home before your decision? Did you have money conversations with your kids? Our money conversations were probably the what what a lot of your listeners would recognize, the share, save, spend uh, yeah. model of allowance. Um, and then conversations about not everything you own is disposable. Um, so, you, yeah. so you're not, no, you're not getting another one just because you lost that one. I mean, but, but not really a, you know, we never got into this is how you create a budget or, you know, those kinds of conversations. In fact, um, my kids are now 21 and 19 and over the Christmas break, we had our very first really in-depth financial planning 101 um, experiences together, you know, in which, I, in which I sat down and taught them the realities of budgeting and sat down and taught them the realities of investing and stuff like that. You know, that's probably too late. In fact, I'm sure it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would I would say it's not too late. We're coming up on a break. I want to pick this up on the other side of the break, though, because because it's a great conversation to come from here. Uh, but we'll be back in just a minute with our guest, Kevin Salwin. And if you'd like to join our conversation, please call us at 866-472-5790 or email moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Ann Hutchins with my co-host Brian Farr, and you have money in your life. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Ann Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Ann's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhbar.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. listening to Money in Your Life with Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. 
Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I'm Brian Farr with my co-host, Ann Hutchins, and our guest, Kevin Salwin. Today, we're talking about the experiences of Kevin's family and the book they wrote, The Power of Half. Before the break, Kevin, you had mentioned a group called Share, Save, Spend, and that you had, uh, with your family, you were using that. Could you tell us a little bit about Share, Save, Spend? Um, It's a... um it's a, a program that was created, I think, in Minneapolis. Um, but, but really, it's it, you know the concept is is uh, is fairly universally used, and that is the idea of when a when a child gets an allowance, um, a third goes to things they can spend on now, a third goes to uh, savings for later, and a third goes to a pool that they would be giving away sometime during the year. And we would typically, um, you know, have our kids designate where they wanted to um, where they wanted to use their funds, and then we would see if we could hand deliver them to that organization. Um, oh, but but they had a, they had a pretty broad palette for where they could uh, where they could give. It really came out of their own passions. So mm-hmm. I can imagine that that was an opportunity for the conversation. That so the the amount they're going to share that you sat down with them you talked about what was available what's on the pallet, and then what I'm hearing is that after the decision was made you wouldn't just put a check in the mail you you would actually go to the facility and make it more tangible and more real for the kids. Yeah, we tried to do we tried to do it as real as possible, and in fact there were times when we would even you know if the food bank for instance was designated we would actually go shop for the food. Um, oh. which was which was a good experience too because it gave our kids the opportunity to kind of set a budget for their shopping and mm-hmm. um, and look at comparative value and um, and then we would bring it over and the people at the food bank were awesome about it because they would you know they would always make our kids feel like this was a really valuable act but I'm sure it was really very small for them um, mm-hmm. And and now I will say since that time I have read something that I actually probably should should highlight, and that is the fact that the food bank can actually buy in bulk in ways that are, that are much more effective and efficient. So it probably is more efficient to be giving money. But I had a different, I had a slightly different agenda to what I was doing in terms of right. trying to teach my kids. I think the food bank will probably benefit long term from that. But uh, that is mm-hmm. worth noting anyway. It would certainly seem like you could do it, you know, the first two or three times to buy the groceries so that I, I'm really impressed by the idea of imprinting it and the children get a, a, a tangible sense of what's going on. Oh, yeah. And did you have you a know, thought on this one? I, uh, just to follow up on that, it's really the, the action plus the, the donation is what, what's the powerful combination. So now I have a question to take us forward to your decision. The the kids had grown up with the share, save, spend, a third, a third, a third. And then you changed the equation on them. You said we're going to give half. <laughs> Actually, I would say that uh, it, uh, that they helped change the equation. I mean, this was – you have to realize this was a decision that we made collectively. We yeah. completely flattened our family hierarchy. Once, once we made this decision, you know, hey, we should think about whether we should sell our house, move into one half the size, and use half the money to try to make the world better. We looked at, we decided um, at Joan's urging, by the way, my wife's urging, that 
um, this was such a significant decision that we were not going to go forward until we were unanimous. So we completely flattened the family hierarchy, one person, one vote, and we were not going to move forward until it was unanimous. And, um, and that, that happened on all major decisions. Did you, have so, an ag- did you have an agreement about how, resol- how uh, differences were resolved or the, how everybody was to behave in the meetings and the conversations? Yeah, um, these were uh, a couple things about that. Number one is um, the behavior was we attempted to be respectful at most times, but we laugh a lot at each other. And we um, <laughs> that, that's always kind of been the way our family is. You know, we, we are able to laugh at ourselves. We think that's a, you know, Joan and I think that's a critical way to raise our kids. Uh, probably, probably a key ingredient in what made all this successful. Uh, maybe I, I, you know, it's funny because we, we all get advice when we're new parents, or we all give advice to to people who are going to be new parents. And you know, people would always say, "Well, you teach your kids to be honest, or teach your kids that you always love them no matter what," and that kind of. And I think that stuff's all important. I would I would put in my top three that you actually have to train your kids to have a good sense of humor and to never take themselves too seriously. Um, Perfect. But but that's but that's that's neither here nor there in this conversation. But but um, so so this one person one vote um, structure was really we would never move forward until we kind of hashed out our differences. And the way we would do that was just through additional discussion. And um, sometimes some decisions took us two months to get through um, because we would meet most Saturdays um, over bagels or or. Um, frozen pizza or whatever, just to try to figure out, okay, we actually know how to invest money to make more money, but how do we invest money to actually make significant social change? And what mm-hmm. does that actually even mean? Yeah. Um, and so uh, that was a, those meetings were the places where we would have lots and lots of conversation about, you know, where to invest the money. For instance, you know, um, did we want to help a few people a little or a lot of people a lot, yeah. you know, um, did we, did, do, you know, or, or, or any combination of that, those four pieces of the matrix, right? How do we, how do we determine that? How do we determine success of our project? You know, did we want to work in the U S did we want to work overseas? Did we want to work on environment issues, veterans affairs, health, education, Poverty, you know, those kind of things. So we 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 had those discussions just about every weekend. And, and, and just just to was, be, if I can jump in, just to be clear, now you're talking. Uh, Hannah is 14 or 15 at that point, and Joseph is two years younger. So you're having those conversations around world issues with teenagers. Correct. And we would have we would bring. Uh, Joan, Joan worked hard to be prepared for each of these, and so did the kids, actually. Um, and, and so people would bring, you know, we, we would know that Saturday, for instance, we were talking about the environment and whether there were things that we as individuals could do um, with this, you know, relatively sizable for us, yet relatively small for the world amount of money. You know, and so people might bring 
you know, different websites that talk about environmental issues or, or Hannah would bring a video that she had seen of, you know, of, of, um, cleaning, of cleaning up rivers, that kind of thing. And, um, and then what was fascinating was because of the one person, one vote uh, process, our kids actually recognized that they had more say than they had thought they did before. And mm-hmm. so they would start coming down to these meetings, you know, bringing their A game. They were totally engaged. It wasn't two adults talking at them and them kind of sitting there thinking, when is this going to be over so I can actually go out and have fun? But they were, they were completely engaged for that. You know, we, we would keep them to an hour to an hour 15, um, mm-hmm. you know, so nobody burned out, including me. Um, yeah. You know, and then we would, we would try to move the ball forward with each, with each step of the, uh, of the process. That's, I'm so curious about these conversations and how everybody, when you ended the previous week, did you say, okay, next week we'll talk about what, where we start with figuring out our geography, for example? And then did you hand out assignments or you just left it like that and everybody knew that they could go start figuring out a geography? It, it usually had, a, it usually had uh, two pieces in the last five minutes. And one was a summary of what we have talked about and concluded, whether we had reached any conclusions, and then a look forward. Um, and, um, and sometimes the, the, um, sometimes what we would do is we would go and research together. So we would get together and, and say, Joan would say, because Joan really ran this process, Joan would say, okay, today we want to look at the, the opportunity to feed hungry people living on less than a dollar a day. Um, what organizations do that? What styles do they do? Let's break up into boys and girls today, and we will go off and research, and we're going to come back in 45 minutes. And so then Joe and I would go off and do some research, and Joan and Hannah would go off and do some research on different things. And then we would come back and we would exchange notes and talk about the issue and that kind of thing. And usually we wouldn't get very far into the issue in the next 15 to 20 or 30 minutes. And we would say, okay, so now we have the opportunity to further delve into the question of relief versus longer-term economic development. Let's, let's start looking at those things for next week. So what I'm just so I'm, I'm clear and our listeners are clear because this is a fabulous way to have a family meeting. You had one person who was summarizing what you what you had found and then everybody knew what their roles were and that everybody had an equal say in the conversation and could either work alone or with somebody else and bring the information. Yeah, it was almost always with somebody else. Yeah. We love we love pairing people up, and sometimes it was kids and adults. And you know, I mean, we yeah. would just kind of make any kind of pairing that we that we wanted to. And sometimes, you know, Joe would say, "Well, I want to work with I want to work with Hannah today." And That's so, fun, you know. Um, but but you know, if you part of part of what you're hearing, kind of broadly speaking, part of what you're hearing is that we, as as the adults in the family, said. 
we are willing to relinquish some control over the process yeah. and the result, yeah. right? Once you, once you say, okay, we're going to flatten the hierarchy and we're going to accept the decision of the collective as opposed to the very wise adults, right? Yeah. Then, then you're saying what the kids bring to this may not be the decision that I would independently make, but okay. it's going to be good enough, right? We're never going to make an absolutely horrendous decision because we mm-hmm. would vote against that. But, um, but the, the, the bigger picture is we will be somewhere where our family collectively as a unit is able to say, this is what we stand for. And that's, yeah, what, you know, basically, that's incredible value. That is huge value. And what you did was create a safe place for Hannah and Joe to experiment at, with adult behavior, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to make a transition into their teens and then out into the world. And right. this is really powerful stuff. There, there's well, a piece Joan, that I'm... Joan would actually say that, that it was an opportunity for me to experiment with adult behavior. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, whoever is experimenting. Right, however it comes about. It was a safe place. That's the point, right? Mm-hmm. One, mm-hmm. one thing that I'm hearing is when you said that the kids brought their A game, when they realized that they actually did have a vote... That I, I can't tell you how many times uh, I'll work with parents who are frustrated that they can't get their teenagers engaged. And I wonder if so much of it just comes down to parents talking down to, to the children and where you flatten the hierarchy, as you say, and the children could actually speak up. And so then they had a reason to pay attention. They had a reason to stay engaged. I'll give you a, I'll give you a great example. Because um, I, I think that's a really, I think that's a really important point. Okay. Um, we're about nine months into the decision process, and we're really working hard to narrow our choices. And by this point, we've decided we want to work on on poverty related issues. We want to work with an entrepreneurial organization that can um, that can. Uh, recognize the power of people to change their own lives with some resources injected. We want okay. to work with, we want to work with um, people living on, uh, on less than a dollar a day. And uh, we want to work outside the U S because we had already done all, we were already doing a lot of work in our community and in the U S. And I said at that point at a, at a meeting, Hey, well then it's clear. It's obvious. We should be working in India. Because if you want to know where the people, you know, if if um, if forty percent of the people living on less than a dollar a day live in one country, that's the country we ought to be working in. And the response from the other three, you know, was was complete pushback. <laughs> and you know, I, I I had the choice at that point to try to push the the paternal. Well, I'm the dad. And this is, this is the most rational thing to do. But I realized, you know, that wasn't the spirit of all of our conversations. And so my response was, okay, well, where do you think we ought to work? What, if you, if you, if make an argument that tells me that India is not the right place, let's have a conversation about this. And we ended up working in Africa, by the way, uh, in Ghana specifically. That's really powerful. 
That's really powerful. I want to, we have a couple of minutes to break. So we're going to, if I can save the, the end result and the donation, because I really want to talk about your work in Ghana. But I have one question before we go to break, which is how did, how did the conversations that you have spit and the, the behaviors, the roles, I guess, that you adopt, um, transformed into, what was the spillover into uh, conversations outside of this project? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's good such question. a good question. Because when, I, um, when, when Joan first brought the idea of, um, of flattening the hierarchy, uh, it made me nervous. Yeah. So wait a second. We're, gonna, we're going to be parents who expect their kids to do homework before they go out and play or, you know, to eat vegetables, you know, before they eat their dessert. And yet we're going to give, give our kids equal say over how to invest a million dollars. Reasonable question to ask. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it made me nervous. And Joan said, you know, I think we need to try it. It, they're giving up their house. They're giving up their rooms. But I suspect you'll see something else. And she really didn't tell me what. What was fascinating is that their behavior began to – their decision-making, I should say, not their behavior, but their decision-making across the board began to get better. And, uh-huh. um, you know, it wasn't one of those things that as Hannah turned – 16, I had to say, no, you can't take the car because you actually haven't prepared for your test yet. You know, she knew that. Um, uh-huh. And I have to think that this process really helped in terms of helping them um, mature in lots of ways. Wow. That's really great. That's really great. Well, we need, we do need to take a break. So we'll pause for a minute and we'll be back just in just a minute with Kevin, who will tell us where they invested their money. If you'd like to join our conversation, please call 866-472-5790 or email us at moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Ann Hutchins with my co-host Brian Farr, and you have Money in Your Life. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhfarr.com. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Anne Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Anne's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Money in Your Life with Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I'm Brian Farr with co-host my co-host Ann Hutchins and our guest Kevin Salwin. Today we're talking about The Power of Half the book that Kevin and his daughter Hannah wrote describing their adventure uh, and the way it has transformed their family. Before we get back to Kevin, I want to mention, once again, the name is The Power of Half. I absolutely love this book. Um, And the website is thepowerofhalf.com. It's also a lot of interesting information about the project and what they've learned from it. So, Kevin, um, tell us, about the investment itself and what the experience was in Africa. Sure. Um, one of the things that, that uh, as we went through our family process of trying to decide where to invest the funds, as I think I mentioned earlier, we, we decided that, um, that we wanted to work on poverty-related issues. We decided we wanted to work outside the United States because we were already working significantly within the United States and other things. And so... Um, and we decided that we did not want to create our own organization. We thought that there were plenty of really good organizations already out there um, doing work. We just had to hitch our wagon to the right uh, to the right train. And so uh, we interviewed uh, a number of organizations and uh, talked about how we could invest our money. And we decided to work with an organization called the Hunger Project. And the Hunger Project's focus is on helping men and women in rural communities who are living, who are living in poverty, um, build a better future for themselves and completely change their trajectories. And okay. so we have been working with them. It was funny. We had this moment in which we told the hunger project, we'd like to work with you guys. We will invest the money with you. Um, where can you use it most? We would prefer to be in Africa, but, um, where could you use it most? And um, John Coonrod, who's the vice president over there we've worked most closely with, said, well, how about Ghana? We're doing this great expansion in Ghana. And we said, that sounds great. And then we ran over to the map that we have on our wall and said, Ghana, Ghana, where is that? Where is that? <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. it's partly because, you know, when you're looking for people on this planet living on less than a dollar a day, it's not hard to find them. And yeah. so um, – and so we didn't really care where we went. Turns out Ghana is an absolutely lovely place with, with beautiful people. It's uh, you basically, I joke that you go to Nigeria and make a left. Um, right. But uh, um, we've been there a number of times now visiting the communities where the work is being done. I should say when we go, we don't work. We celebrate the people who are doing the work because all of the work uh, is being done by the people in the communities in these villages, and we're working with a with a with a uh, cluster of about thirty thousand people in wow. about twenty to twenty five villages, and um, they are building a brighter future for themselves. We are helping to provide resources 
for that, mm-hmm. and they are helping to provide resources for that. And that's the that's really the only way it's sustainable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, hand, so, handouts handouts don't work, and right. you know. How do you but, measure success? How did you decide to measure success? We measure success in a number of ways um, because these are kind of holistic projects. Um, in other words, each one of these communities builds its own community farm. So we look for uh, measures of food security. So, for instance, during the uh, commodities crisis that happened a few years back when there was kind of a food shortage in the world, we looked to see whether the communities where our, our investments were did better than the rest of than the rest of Ghana, and they mm-hmm. did substantially. We look for, because there's a health clinic in there, we look for uh, infant mortality. We look for the rates of malaria. We look for the, for the rates of AIDS and HIV infection. Um, because there is, a, um, there is a school that is built as part of this, we look for the number of kids who are actually attending school rather than working in the fields with their parents. Uh, because there is a... Um, because there is a microloan bank, we look for the number of businesses that have been created and what those businesses are doing and how those businesses okay. are able to throw off cash to additional uh, to additional people. Right. So you have lots of specific measures. Now I'm curious, bring us back to your family experience. Um, I'm assuming the four of you have had an opportunity to to continue to stay in touch with these projects and inevitably continue to have conversations about how your investment is performing. Yes, and 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 um, and you know, <laughs> there's a couple of factors here. Number one is we go to Ghana fairly frequently to see the work, to meet with the villagers, that kind of thing. Um, so we're there hands-on. We're also getting reports roughly every six months from the Hunger Project about the metrics um, that they're using. Um, we also talk a lot. Our initial um, five-year investment in the villages has now been completed. Um, you know, we, we, we took the original half of, of the house, which was $800,000 that we committed, um, mm-hmm. And then we have added to that. We, so now we're up, we're up a little bit over a million dollars. And we just, and, and now the Hunter Project has come back to us and said, hey, there's some sustainability things that we want to build into these villages. Would you be willing to commit more? Um, so we've sat down again with our kids to have conversations about, about um, where we could get that money and where that would come from. Whenever mm-hmm. Hannah and I do talks and we, and we, we've done, we've done a number of them. Um, and, and any royalties from the book, we take half of all that money and contribute it back into this project. Wow. So, yep. um, so that's continued to fund a lot of the work that we're doing. So we've been very fortunate from that perspective. But, but I do want to say, I do want to say that, um, you know, we wrote, we decided to write the power of half, um, because we recognized that there was a transformation in the relationships in our family. And that, and the power of half really, it's, it's much more, it's not really a giving book so much as it's a relationships book. You know, I started this, when we started this program, we talked about the fact that you could say the Salwans define themselves by their stuff and their money. And what has happened over the last five, six years is that we have essentially redefined our family to be about what we give and how we participate in our community. And um, boy, that's a much that's a much more satisfying way to be. Uh, 
I'll yeah. Tell you. Yeah. yeah. Kevin, yeah. we have a uh, email here from Sandra, and she said. Uh, I'm wondering, after the family worked with the Hunger Project in Ghana, where are they all now? Are the kids in college? What are their aspirations after these experiences? Wow, wonderful question. Thank you. Um, Hannah is a junior at NYU. Uh, she's majoring in social enterprise, which is, as you know, those those businesses that have a social mission as well as um, – looking to make a profit. And so um, mm -hmm. she has a dream of working for Warby Parker. Um, but I suspect Hannah will be an entrepreneur who, uh, you know, Hannah, Hannah has always kind of worked, kind of gone to her own drummer. So I suspect <laughs> down the road she'll be an entrepreneur of something that's good for the world. Um, Joseph is a, um, is a freshman at Northwestern uh, where he is majoring in film. And so um I'm sure he's not going to make Transformers 19, but will make something of value. I'm sure hoping that. Um, <laughs> That's you know, great. I, I think one thing that 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 um, that I really want to make sure we talk about today is is that you know we looked at our family and said, what do we have more than enough of? And in our case, it was our house, but we don't expect anybody else to sell their house. You know, we know that that was a really significant, large, and possibly insane gesture. Um, <laughs> but it's what we had more than enough of. And we now live in a house that's half the size, and our family's happier. We live tighter. We live more interconnected. But for some, for, for another family, there are, you know, there may be ways to do something completely different. So, for instance... Um, you know, if you watch four hours of TV a week, and most of us watch, most of us watch much more than that, but let's say you watch four hours of TV a week, and you cut that down to two, and you get together with the most important people in your life, whether that's your family or, you know, or the people on your street or the people in your faith-based organization, and you say, hey, let's all do this. Now we have this amazing resource. We have this group of people that now has two hours free each week to do something out there in the community, whether it's to go sing in a nursing home or whether it's to clean up a neighborhood park or whether it's to go visit the dogs at the Humane Society. You know, and the total cost of this, by the way, is zero, absolutely zero. So I, I offer that example only to say this is not a game for the wealthy. This is a game for everybody. Right. That's that's a really, really good point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. Kevin, I have one closing question for you, which is, would you do anything differently? <laughs> um, would we do anything differently? Uh, somehow we would transport Joan's kitchen, which she misses desperately, into the new house. But um, <laughs> you know. There are no, sacrifices I in this. I think we would always do things differently. Differently, I think, um, you know, I, I, I think early on, for instance, I think we were really cumbersome at how we how we spoke about this. We were overly challenging to people, and probably, um, and, and not probably, we definitely lost some friends over this. Um, and and it kind of at our project created a moat between us and. Um, and some of our friends. And I think if we did it differently, we would have absolutely shut up. 
um, until we really understood um, how challenging what we were doing could be. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, that's, but, yeah. but now we have the opportunity, you know, the, 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 we're in this cool place where we can say to people, look, think about what we did. All we did was, very simply, we traded stuff for, for more closeness and connectedness with the most important people in our world, our kids and our family, right? Mm-hmm. That, that is, that's like the biggest no-brainer on earth, right? You can, you can, you know, if I had, if I could offer you the, the opportunity to wave a magic wand and say, I'll have a little bit less stuff, yet I'll have, I'll have in much more connectedness, communication, you know, and, and, and engagement with the most important people in my world. Who wouldn't take that deal? Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we had a guest on at the end of last year. Uh, the program's called Happiness and Money. It's Robert B. Swatdiner. And the research completely supports what your family discovered, that, that the happiness that comes from these kinds of actions is much greater and much more enduring than the happiness that comes from the arrival of stuff and the mm. ownership of stuff. That, yeah. that one has been explored. And your family is such a perfect example of it. Yeah. Well, I will say, um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe this is the real answer to Anne's earlier question. Um, w- w- what would we do differently? We would have done it sooner. Uh, um, uh, you know. Okay. That's really great. Thank well, you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. We are out of time for today. Thank you so much for uh, being on the program with us, sharing, uh, sharing the story of your family. Once again, the book is called The Power of Half. And that's also the uh, name of the website. You can just go to The Power of Half and learn more about this amazing family. I'm so impressed by them by them all. So Thanks. We had a, we were, I had a great time being here. Appreciate your great. time. Great. Excellent. Okay, so next week, our guest is Brian O'Connor. Brian is the finance editor of the Detroit News. We will have a lively conversation with him about the $1,000 challenge he and his wife undertook to cut 10 budget items by $100 a piece to save $1,000 a month. We're going to go beyond dollars and cents of their situation and identify the values, priorities, and communication agreements that might also help you shift your relationship with money. Until next Friday, I'm Brian Farr. And I'm Ann Hutchins. And let's keep the conversation going because you have money in your life. Thank you for making Money in Your Life part of your financial plan this week. Please join your hosts, Ann Hutchins and Brian Farr, again next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.